down to is Kyrie Irving. When you talk about him being his team, it's not the Boston Celtics. It's Danny Ainge's team. It's Brad Stevens' team. People are talking like we won't still have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Marcus Smart. And don't forget about Al Horford, Gordon Hayward, Brad Stevens, and Danny Ainge. Welcome to the Celtics Center. Welcome to another episode of the Celtics Center. I am Brendan. We have Cody in here as well. And today we have a guest to help us break down the draft picks that just happened by the Celtics. And that is Max from Celtics Blog. How you doing, Max? Doing well. How are you? Doing good. Appreciate you taking the time to come on here. And I take it that you're pretty happy with the way this panned out for the Celtics, right? I mean, you got some steals. I know that uh, Grant Williams really seemed like the darling of NBA draft Twitter. Oh, yeah. I think they killed it. You know, outside of the Grizzlies and Pelicans, who had the first and second picks, I think they had clearly the best draft. Um, Yeah, Grant was a personal favorite of mine, fourth on my board. Uh, Just a a genius monster physically. Uh, I think he's going to step in immediately and be really good. Uh, And then I was personally really high on Romeo Langford, too. He was 12th for me. Uh, And then wasn't the biggest Carson Edwards fan but I still had him 32 and they got him at 33 so I think they totally killed it added a future first to yeah. unbelievable haul huge huge night for the uh for the Celtics for sure yeah maybe we can start with Langford I know that that was Cody's crush all year mm-hmm. before the season even started do you want to dig into that a little bit of Cody yeah so coming into the draft I think he was like the sixth high school or fifth high school recruit he was one of the top 10 high school recruits coming in. So when I was doing my research, because I'm a big ba- college basketball guy, I like to, you know, know exactly who's coming in, what teams I should watch. And he was one of the guys I wanted to watch really, really bad. Cause I personally, I thought offensively, he was one of the most complete offensive players coming into the season. I thought he was in high school. He scored on all three levels efficiently, got to the rim. He had a nice shot. Indiana, he didn't shoot well. He only had like 25, 26% from three. A lot of that you can, you can contribute to his torn ligament in his shooting hand he played 26 games with. Um, but he had some big-time moments against some big-time teams. Uh, played well against Michigan State. Uh, he had some really good games in that competitive uh, Big Ten. And I just loved him. I didn't think the Celtics were going to get him earlier on the season. Obviously, he was projected to go higher. He fell because of the shooting hand. Um, injury and throughout all pre-draft workouts you didn't see his name associated with the Celtics at all I think they worked out 70 80 guys and I don't think Romeo Langford was one of them so either Danny really loved the guy and just didn't think he was going to get him so he didn't work him out or just he they fell into his lap but I'm very excited for him I think he's a scorer that they can use off the bench to run that second unit I remember the beginning of the last season, Celtics fans wanted Jamal Crawford as a wing just to he's a get-you-a-bucket type of guy. I think Romeo Lankford can play that role. With all our wings that we do have, we have a lot of defensive wings. I think he's an offensive-minded wing, which complements everyone else as well. So I think he can play uh, with a Tatum, with a Brown. Had some playmaking duties in Indiana as well. Not the best playmaker, but he was basically a point guard for most of that season. So I really do like the pick. Like I said, he, like Brandon said, he was my crush all year. And the fact that he's going to be wearing Celtics green for at least the next four years, hopefully, is uh, it, it gets me in the feels a little bit. I really do like that pick. 
Yeah, I think uh, I don't think he worked out for anyone actually because of the the thumb that he was rehabbing. But he he was someone that that made sense to me just sort of reading the tea leaves that he is this uh, high pedigree prospect who shot worse than he than he probably is capable of. Uh, has a good frame um, and is at the wing position. Like that's just a very clear Danny Ainge guy. So I said that like I, you know he hasn't worked out for them, but d- definitely wouldn't surprise me. If he's an age guy, and he was he was one of the four guys I thought they were really interested in at fourteen. Um, yeah, I think so. Coming into the year, he was a I, I think the top number six recruit. Um, you know, scorer, not really much of a defender. Indiana basketball legend comes into to Indiana, and he, he's not really shooting anymore. And he's always sort of been known not necessarily as a shooter, but a shot maker. Um, and he he couldn't shoot. Maybe it was the thumb. Maybe you know his form is pretty jacked up. I think he uh, he he kind of brings the ball up on the left side of his face. His wrist flexes to like ninety degrees. Um, it's it's pretty pretty problematic. Um, but I personally believe in his touch uh, eventually translating to to three point shooting. Um, but yeah, he came into Indiana and he's he's a very capable creator out of the pick and roll. He was an elite scorer out of the pick and roll. I think ninetieth percentile. Um, I, he's not like a, a visionary as a passer, but he's, he's definitely capable. He's good on kickouts. I think he's good on, on, uh, hitting the roll man on occasion. Um, but yeah, I just, I really buy him as a guy who can use his strength to carve out space at the rim to use his elite, fi- uh, touch to finish, uh, as a guy who can get to the line, um, a guy who can hit pull up jumpers because he did that in college, despite not shooting well on catch and shoots, uh, and eventually, you know, if he gets that spot up going, I think he's just going to be a really solid player. I think something that also flies under the radar with him, though, is you know, in high school, n- did not have the reputation of being a defender. And he came in at Indiana and I think really impressed. He was good on ball, like legitimately good with some positional versatility. And I think off the ball, he has some lapses, like he'll get back cut a fair amount. But uh, he does flash some IQ at times. He'll make impressive plays around the rim with his his big body and length. So I'm I'm really excited about him. I think that he could be both a nice wing piece, and I do think that there's actually some real sort of low-end star upside there. And you mentioned the decision-making a little bit. I noticed that he ten- tended to tunnel vision a little bit at times, that if he was going downhill, it seemed like he was going to take it himself, even if, say, there was a guy open in the corner. Is mm-hmm. that just a fact of being the best guy on the Indiana team? Is it going to be different when, you know, say – Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown are in the corner, or does that seem like a concern that's going to stick around a little bit moving forward? Yeah, I think Indiana was a bit of a mess. They, you know, people thought highly of them coming into the year, and they they really fell apart. Uh, but I I don't think that he's got the greatest vision. I think he misses a lot of passes, uh, so I think that that is a problem for him. But honestly, as a a nineteen year old you know, shooting guard slash wing. I think he's in a pretty good spot as a creator. Like he's never going to be your primary ball handler, but as a guy who's maybe the secondary creator in units, I think he could be really good. Yeah. And then one positive is that he really gets to the line, right? Like, like you said, his finishing around the rim, it was a little upwards of six free throw attempts per game. And the Celtics were bottom five in free throw attempts all year. So Mm -hmm. that should really help out the Celtics team. I feel like, right. Yeah, I mean, one mild point of concern for me is I, I went back and looked at some of these really elite free throw rate guys, and it doesn't always translate all that well. And I think that especially for guys that are that are really winning with strength, 
Um, it doesn't always translate that well. But I think that if Romeo is a big guard, which I kind of see him as, he's going to have this massive strength advantage. And he just he knows how to use his strength around the rim. He knows how to create space around the rim. So I think that I think it'll translate. But that's definitely a question mark for me, whether or not he'll be able to beat that really high level foul drawer. And he obviously likes having the ball his hand in his hands, like we said, and he's this two, maybe three guard. Seemed like he could guard maybe one to three, if I'm right with that. Um, but we have a question mark at the one, and then Jalen, Jason, and Hayward kind of seem like you're starting wings more than likely. So you would assume that he's coming in maybe as this bench scorer role? Yeah, I think in the short term, bench scorer definitely makes sense. Um, yeah, I don't know what the long-term plans are with Hayward or even Jalen, really. I expect that, that Jason's going to be around for a long time, obviously. But, you know, with, with Jalen's upcoming extension contract, uh, extension, um, eligibility and then contract, uh, free agency next summer, you know, I don't know if he'll be around, but I think Romeo can play with all of those guys. Um, you know, when you have just guys who can dribble, pass and shoot, on the wing, you know, it's you can never have too many of those guys because they can just all play at the same time. I mean, especially with Hayward, actually, because you know, he can more or less play as your primary ball handler if he gets back to you know any semblance of what he was in Utah. So I, I I'm not worried about being overloaded on the wing. You know, you see how star teams are for wings. I I think they're just fine with him. Definitely. And I think you mentioned it a little bit, but the main concern is really his off ball, right? I mean, he likes to have the ball in his hands, but say we were to bring back Terry, who obviously Danny's huge on mixed feelings on how people feel about that. Um, Terry's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. And if Romeo's not running the pick and roll, then where really is his uh, position of impact on the offensive end? I think he can do a lot attacking off the catch. Um so he has a like great footwork off the catch where he'll really explode downhill. Something I, I just put up a piece with Celtics blog for, you know, some quick, uh, quick thoughts on how to use these guys. And that was something I mentioned that, you know, whereas Tatum will, will sort of receive the ball off the catch and then stop the ball a little bit. And he, he's pretty hesitant to get downhill. You don't see that with Romeo. He's really aggressive. Um, so I think that he can still thrive in that role. It's just pretty contingent on the spot up shooting being there. And I think that that sort of a pick like this at 14, the Celtics probably believe that they can teach him to shoot. Is there anybody else that you would have rather seen them take at 14? So higher on my board at the time was Grant Williams, Brandon Clark, um, Goga Batadze, and that was it. Yeah, that was it. I... I um I really like Romeo. He was he was twelfth for me. He was sort of one of the guys that I had pegged as as a main target. One of the guys who would have made me really happy. Uh, I'm thrilled that they came away with him. Yeah. So I have a question. So at twenty, we traded out at twenty, and we got mm-hmm. Grant Williams at twenty two. I think the consensus was. I remember me and Brendan last night were talking about it. You know, Brandon Clark still there at twenty. Get Brandon Clark. Uh, Memphis ended up getting 21 and snagging Brandon Clark and really winning that draft, in my opinion, getting Clark to pair with uh, JJJ and John Moran as well. Um, so how upset were you that the Celtics didn't come away with Brandon Clark, but at the same time they did get Grant Williams, so how does that balance it out? Yeah, if they hadn't ended up with Grant at 22, I think I would have seen that as a pretty big missed opportunity. But there's, a, I think, a fair amount of overlap between 
Grant and Clark in terms of, you know, what they're going to do role wise. So if you didn't, if they didn't think that they could, they could really handle both and they got the one they like better, the one that I like better. I think the two trades that they made with 20 and then eventually 24 were really great value. Uh, and, you know, coming away with 33 to get, to get Carson Edwards as well. I think they just killed it. I, so would I have preferred Brandon Clark, who was my fifth ranked prospect to, you know, a, a pick that's not going to be that great next year, uh, some salary cap relief and Carson Edwards. Yeah, but I, I'm just, I'm not going to kill Danny Ainge for that. I think that they just, you know, did so well. It's really hard to question them on anything they did. And moving on to that next pick of Grant Williams, I mean, like we said, I mean, everyone is very high on this guy for good reason. He seems like he does everything well. He's extremely intelligent. Intelligent in that Celtics blog piece you touched on, you compared him to Horford a lot. Um, can you kind of just expand on that a little bit and the similarities you see, you see between their two games? Yeah, I, I don't think. I would make like an overall comp between Grant and Horford. They're pretty different players, but the way that, that um, they can use him offensively just, you know, on the surface level is that Horford is, you know, an elite, elite decision maker. You get him the ball on the short roll with an advantage and he will make the right decision every time. Or like Miami, when they were playing them a couple times during the regular season, were throwing a zone at, at a team with Al Horford and Kyrie Irving, which is totally insane. And you just throw him in the middle of that and get him the ball. And it's just over. You know, Grant Williams is going to do the same thing. He is a hyper elite decision maker. He sees everything. He can make every pass. Um, and I think that he also brings some of those safety valve elements that Horford did in the post. Grant was an elite, elite post scorer in college. I don't think he'll be an elite post scorer in the, in the NBA, but he, he uses that strength and that elite touch and a super high release point on his jumper to, you know, be a 97th percentile post scorer. So, you know, if you need a bucket at the end of a at the end of the shot clock, you know, instead of turning to Al Horford, I think you can on on some occasions turn to Grant Williams at least when he has a a mismatch, and then just passing out of the post. The dude's a genius. He sees everything. Um, you know, if if he can draw doubles, he is going to pick defenses apart. Uh, so I think just having a big who's going to make plays on the move, make plays on the post, and just you know dominate with intelligence, eat in the mid range. I think that offensively there are some definite uh, similarities to how they can use uh, Grant. So to go off of Grant, do you think his sorry, Brendan? Do you think his size at six six is gonna obviously he's not going to be playing college kids anymore? He's going to be playing big boys in the pros. Do you think his size at all makes him a disadvantage in the post? And especially the lack of a three point shot at six six is going to be, or do you think he's just going to outsmart everybody and just be be just fine down there in the post? Yeah, I worry a little bit about the post scoring. The thing is that I I trust him to create space with his strength to get the uh the jumper off and his touch is just so good that that jumper is going to be a good look for him. And then as for extending the range on his jumper, I'm a complete believer that he's going to shoot threes at a pretty decent clip. Like his his mechanics are sound. He has elite elite touch. He's already a great mid-range shooter. So I'm I'm a complete believer in Grant Williams as a three-point shooter. Yeah, pro- probably sooner rather than later, honestly. Yeah. yeah, his passing really intrigues me. Like you said, that Horford-esque passing. You put him in the middle and in the post, and he can create for others, especially with you know Jalen Brown being a good shooter and Jason Tatum being a good shooter, especially off the catch and release. Uh, it's going to be a dangerous weapon. I really like that pick of, like you said, I think I'd rather have Clark, but at that point, you're just picking hairs. 
And uh, Grant Williams is a good pick there. And talking positionally, does it feel similar to Draymond Green where he almost feels like a, a four, but then you're going to be able to slot him into that small ball five as well? Yeah, I think he'll survive a little bit as a five. Uh, I wouldn't go to it that much just because he doesn't have length, uh, only like a six nine wingspan. I think that that's – I'm never going to make the Draymond comparison. It fails on a lot of a lot of fronts with Grant, but the biggest one is probably the length. Where he's just he he does impact shots around the rim. He's a really really uh, impactful help defender around the rim. But I don't think that for extended periods he's really going to survive as your primary guy around the rim just because of the lack of length. But I think that yeah, with with the strength for sure he can can survive for for short amounts of time. And I think you can probably also do some some weird cross matching stuff where if you want to put Grant on a center, you know, because he's so strong. Uh, you know, he could he can defend that guy as an individual, and then say you want to put Robert Williams next to him and just tell him to go around blocking stuff. Uh, you could do that, and then vice versa, you could have Robert Williams on on someone and put Grant on on maybe the other team's worst offensive player, and just tell him to, to be a free safety and and just blow up plays as much as possible, and he could do that too. So Grant's you know defensive potential is, is really just as exciting as his offensive potential. In, in regards to impact next year, uh, likely we see him in that bench role, obviously. Do we expect a lot of Langford Grant Williams pick and rolls going in? I don't know if, if Langford will be trusted to do that that much. I'm I'm more excited for, in summer league at least, uh, Carson Edwards Grant Williams pick and roll. I think they're going to eviscerate teams. Um, but yeah, I, the Celtics still need, I think, a real pick and roll guard. We'll see if they can get that in trade or free agency. But I, whoever Grant is paired with, I think it'll be really good for, for Jason actually, just because he's such a good screen setter. He'll really get Jason some space. And then, um, you know, it's pretty, make it pretty easy for Jason. Just, you know, if, if you're drawing two defenders, you get the ball to Grant and then let him make decisions because he's a genius. Does does this make losing Horford hurt even more? If that's possible, because we all were practically crying over Horford, probably. I mean, you do say, obviously, Williams is very intelligent, but it feels like Horford would have been a great mentor for him. Yeah, I I don't I don't think it doesn't hurt me more. I'm broken up about Al leaving just because I love him. Uh, I wanted to see him play the rest of his career with the Celtics. We all do. But, I, I Grant doesn't strike me as the type of guy that needs a mentor. I you, okay. he, he's just as brilliant off the court as he is on. He's just an elite human being. Uh, I I'm I just couldn't be more of a of a believer in him. He's an incredible basketball player. I, I think you could you could see last night that you know, Celtics beat writers were already falling in love with him because he's just so well spoken and so insightful. Um, so I, I I don't think he needs Horford to be the player he can be. Anything he was going to teach Horford some stuff. <laughs> um, I'm I'm very intrigued. Uh, we got Carson Edwards, so I like to pick. We also got Tremont Waters at 51, and both are you know undersized guards who just like make it happen. Um, yeah. They remind me a lot of each other. Obviously, Carson Edwards being a, a couple years older than Tremont Waters is, 
Um, how do you see that dynamic working out? And do you see maybe a battle or obviously one of them is going to be in the G League, if not both of them or sometimes? I mean, our point guard position is a little uh, thin at the moment with basically no one if we don't bring back Terry and if Kyrie doesn't resign and all that jazz. So how do you see their impact and who do you see ultimately winning out that battle? Yeah, I think they're both good players and I liked both picks. Um I think Carson is is more of a a combo guard. Uh mm-hmm. he, he's just he's such a freak shooter and so strong. Um I think that he's he's not a lock to be an NBA rotation player, but I think he's got a really good shot. More, most likely just as a bench scorer. Uh I really liked his fit in Philly because you could get him next to sort of a, a big initiator who could uh, take bigger defensive assignments, and then Carson could could really play sort of like an off guard position on offense and and just defend point guards. But uh, I think the fit here is is fine. Uh, he's you know the Celtics have in the past obviously liked to have these nuclear pull up shooting guards who don't necessarily have to be the the craziest passers. And it's something I mentioned in that in that Celtics blog piece is that you, know, you don't need Carson Edwards to be this freak passer when he has smart forwards like Jason Tatum and Grant Williams around him because you make it simple. You use the threat of your pull-up, you draw defenders, you get the ball to the smart forwards, and you let them make the decisions because they're going to make the right decisions when they have advantage situations. So I think Carson is in a pretty good spot to succeed. Tremont Waters, uh, he's a really good basketball player, but he's 5'11". Um, he's, he's probably not going to make it, but if anyone is going to make it at that size, it's going to be a guy like him who's as smart as he is, as good a shooter as he is, just really a fantastic basketball player. It's just the, the thresholds when you're, when you're 5'11 are so hard. You just have to be so good at shooting, so good at passing, uh, and really, you know, able to guard up also like someone like Fred Van Vliet, who's just so strong, um, so I think it's 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 more of an uphill battle for for Waters for sure, but I like them both as as shots on on sort of initiator types. Uh, I think they could both be real players. You know, one takeaway on them is they they just make it happen. I mean, both of them had great tournament runs. I mean, Carson Edwards had that forty plus point game on the Final Four, Lead Eight, one of the two. And then Tremont Waters had that buzzer beater to win against Maryland. I mean, they just make things happen. You know, you look at them and you see, these, you know, the prototypical guard 6'6 now, and that's what teams want. And these guys are either a little undersized or, you know, not as big and not as prototypical. And that's the word we like to use. But they just make it happen. They're basketball players. They just get the job done. They know how to play. They know how to play at a high level at, against other high-level players. So, yeah, like you said, if there's anyone that can make it, it's going to be Tremont Waters. It's going to be fun uh, hearing about him in the G League most likely this year and what he's going to be able to do. Um, so, yeah, I do like these guys. I, I Like you said, I think the Celtics killed this draft. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think a, a constant with all these picks is that Danny drafted good basketball players. You know, he didn't yeah. go for, for, I think, a lot of people wanted Nasir Little. Didn't think yeah, he'd was, be there at 14. You know, he was he was 28 for me. You know, just not a very good basketball player. They passed on Sekou Dumboya, who was 26 for me, also not a very good basketball player, but had been frequently mocked in in the lottery. And instead, they they got four guys who were just really good at basketball. I think I think Danny probably realized that a, a major inefficiency in this draft was intelligence and strength. Uh, you know, if you look at their top three picks, they're all uh, strength freaks. And they're all, I'd say, pretty smart players, too. 
Uh, and those are, you know, those are things that I value a lot that I think are, are pretty undervalued, which is part of the reason why I was just so high on the Celtics draft. So I think that, you know, there's, there's a clear theme throughout this draft and it's, it's good, strong, smart basketball players. And I think those are, those, they're really smart guys to bet on. Is there any of the guys that we saw fall in the draft that you would have liked to see the Celtics maybe take a chance at? I know obviously you're high on the draft that it ended out well, but say maybe someone like Claxton fell far. Obviously, Bulbul was a big story, but there's those sort of concerns. Anybody that fell that you felt like the Celtics could have taken a chance on? Yeah, so when they came up at 51, uh, the best available for me was my 15th player, Jonte Porter, um, my 23rd, Yovel Zeusman, and my 29th, Terrence Davis. Um Jonte clearly medically red flagged, so I'm not going to knock them for that. He's an incredible basketball player, but his knees, I think, are just probably shot. It's it's really unfortunate. The one missed opportunity, I think, was Zeusman. Yeah, at 51, Zeusman is a 6'7", a 7-foot-plus seven, seven wingspan, Israeli wing, can dribble past, shoot, like fairly athletic. I'm just pretty confident he's a uh, rotation-caliber player in the NBA. You know, he's had a lot of success both in, in FIBA – uh, as sort of a star player, he won MVP of the of the U twenty tournament in twenty eighteen, uh, and then he served as a a really serviceable rotation player for Maccabi Tel Aviv, which is just a, a good basketball team. Uh, all as a a twenty twenty one year old, so I think that was a missed opportunity because you could have taken him at fifty one and stashed him, uh, and then in a couple of years you just have an NBA wing coming over. And I I do believe at some point we're going to see Zeusman, but he went undrafted. Uh, so I think that was probably the, the real missed opportunity, but I'm not going to knock a 51st pick. Those are just yep. long shots. Uh, and I think with, with the three picks that I guess, quote unquote matter, they killed it. Well, the guys you mentioned, like you said, did go undrafted. Do you see a chance of the Celtics maybe giving those guys a chance here? I'm curious about Davis. I haven't heard anything about him. He hasn't signed anywhere yet. And I'm shocked that he fell. Like these other guys, I get it. Jonte injuries. Zeusman is is an international guy, but Davis, I don't get. He's a six five ish wing with a very plus wingspan, and he he actually shot in college like fairly passably and on a diversity of a, of attempts. So he shot off the dribble, he shot off movement, and he shot off the catch. Uh, and he has some some real playmaking chops, and is a pretty freaky athlete. Uh, so I was just shocked that he fell. I'm guessing there's something else going on there, some either medical concern or off-court concern. Mm-hmm. But I'm just curious to, ha- to hear what happens with him. If not, he's definitely someone that would be worthy of a two-way if he's willing to take a two-way. Another yeah, guy I'd so, be interested- oh, I saw on Twitter that he's refusing to take a two-way. Okay. Because, you know, the two-way really is very team-friendly and doesn't really give a lot of power to the player, especially when the restricted stuff comes in. So I, I did see someone retweeted um, his tweet saying that he's re- like he's refusing to take a two-way um, for right now. So that's what I know about Davis. Okay. Yeah, and then one other guy who's a personal favorite of mine, he was 30th until he tore his ACL in his Celtics workout, uh, is Charles Matthews, wing yeah. from Michigan. So he can't shoot at all or really do anything on offense, but he was the best perimeter defender in the class. He's a freak mover. He's a genius. Like I, I honestly don't think that DeAndre Hunter is a meaningfully better prospect than him. Uh, 
he's he's just going to be out for the season rehabbing a, a torn ACL. But if you could get him into your system, he's a guy that if if you teach him how to shoot, he's going to be a good NBA player. So he's definitely someone who's of interest to me. I'm just a, personally a big fan. But otherwise, um, there wasn't really anyone who who stood out. They used a two way on on Max Struss, I think is his last name from DePaul. Uh, meh. Uh, he's like a shooting specialist who's probably not quite an elite shooter. Uh, yeah, it is what it is. I'm not going to get worked up about it. And this was, I mean, obviously the Celtics didn't trade any of these guys for immediate impact things. It was saying that they weren't going to keep their three first round picks. They did get rid of one of them to get rid of that Baines contract in a future first. This is just very clearly Boston going full youth movement, right? And just developing these young guys moving forward that way. I think so, yeah. Uh, I, I think that every other option was kind of taken away from them. Yeah. But they're in a good spot. You know, if you start a rebuild with Jason Tatum and, and Marcus Smart already and, and then Jalen Brown too, you're in a good spot. And then just all the, all the players they added last night. The, the, the core is in a good spot. I think they still are, are low on superstar talent, but they've got all the supporting pieces. Just need to, to get lucky in one of the, one of the coming drafts. And you mentioned Marcus Smart. We were talking about this a little bit before you came on here. Do you feel like Marcus can play that starting one spot? Or he definitely can, but would you be comfortable with giving him that position? Yeah, 100%. I'm a huge believer in Marcus Smart. Okay. I think he's he's underrated as a playmaker. I don't think probably long-term you want him as your starting point guard. But if, if he can continue hitting spot-ups, especially if he's if he's playing off Hayward, I'm totally comfortable with it. You know, I'm not a Terry Rozier fan. I would not bring him back under any circumstances. I would not bring him back on a minimum contract. Uh-huh. Amen. So, uh amen. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm totally comfortable with, with Smart going into the, into the season as the starting point guard. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's maybe it on the Celtics portion of this draft. We can touch on a little bit of what else happened last night. Um, obviously, probably the biggest blunder was the Suns trading away from Jared Culver at 6 and then taking Cam Johnson at 11. I mean, just straight insanity, right? Yeah, I like Cam Johnson. He was 21st for me. Um, 11. I, that's just crazy. Because you, you're not going to convince me that they couldn't have gotten him at 16 at the you know at the at the yeah. earliest like, like or at the latest um you know he's a good player but there were also rumors that he was medically red flagged by a bunch of teams that was just baffling like i don't know how you do that so i i just tweeted not long ago that it's hard to have a worse night than the suns had while getting three good players because i think dario Saric, ty jerome and and cam johnson are three good players but man, it was just a masterclass in mismanaging assets. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, there was that big hole at the point guard position. They could have gotten a chance at Kobe White. Not sure how you feel about him. And I mean, there was a funny thing going around that Cam Johnson's older than most of the core. He's uh, older than Phoenix. Booker. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a huge Kobe White fan, but Culver was the perfect fit for them. Like immediately after the lottery, I, I was saying like, 
Culver is is a perfect fit in Phoenix because I think that the way that you maximize Booker is you have him as your your primary ball handler, and Culver is the ideal secondary ball handler. He's like the ideal you know big guard next to Booker who's going to take on the hard defensive assignments and offer some secondary creation. And he was there for them, and they traded away that pick, and then took Cam Johnson. <laughs> Un- <laughs> it's unreal. Yeah. Bad teams stay bad. Yeah, pretty much. And we saw Culver end up going to Minnesota. Um, to me, them w- trying to trade to four and five, not being able to get either and go to six, that made me feel like they were really going for Darius Garland here, uh, needing that point guard. Obviously, they didn't like White, or maybe they just thought Culver was clearly a better prospect. How do you feel like Culver is going to fit in Minnesota? I think really well. They still they still need a, you know, a lead guard. But as that that second perimeter piece, I think he's really good, and and his shooting concerns definitely are mitigated a little bit when he's next to an all time great shooting big like Towns. Uh, so I think it's a really great fit. They're still, I'd say, one piece away at the very least. Yeah. But Culver, Covington, Towns is a really nice trio. Yeah, and then the other interesting one is the Cavs going Darius Garland. And obviously it's the exact same thing as Sexton is that I I would assume it's just because they think, you know, you have to go best player available and felt that Garland was that much better than Culver, that it was, you just needed to go that no matter Sexton there or not. Yeah. I wonder if, if they thought that it was sort of an opportunity where you could take Garland and then the offers would keep rolling in, but probably not. They probably just liked him. I, I had Culver 2 for me and Garland 7. I like Garland. Uh, I think there are very real concerns with him, obviously, uh, in some of the ways that Sexton did in terms of not being a real point guard who can't really you know make the reads that a, a lead guard has to make. That's a tough fit. Um, yeah, I don't really know what they're doing. So, um, Sam Mazzullo on, on Twitter, a smart draft guy, mentioned to me that he, he thinks it makes sense to take shots on a bunch of initiators just because it's sort of a, I guess a similar idea to what the, what the Cardinals were doing in, in football with at the quarterback position where it's, it's such a swing position for the quality of your team that you should just take as many shots on these guys as possible. And it doesn't matter how many bust out once you finally get one, it's fine. But I'm guessing that's not how the Cavs are thinking. They probably think that these two can play together. I'm really, really skeptical. Uh, it's just, there were fits that I think made a lot of sense for Garland. Uh, New Orleans would have been great. I think that Minnesota would have been all right. Um, but yeah, that that's tough. I, I don't know what Cleveland is doing. Uh, I don't think they're going to be very good for a while. <laughs> that sounds like Cleveland. Um, you mentioned you, that you liked Garland in New Orleans. Is that talking three-guard lineup? You could see Drew guarding the three, or do you see one of them on the outside looking in if that were to be the case? Yeah, I think Drew and Lonzo both have have enough size to handle guarding the wing. I mean, Lonzo, in many ways, kind of is more of a wing than a guard. But I think that that Garland next to Drew, uh, you know, two guys who can who can work on the ball, work off the ball. It would have fit together really nicely. Garland, I think, was a great fit in L.A. too. Uh, sort of secondary creator. I get. I don't want to make the Kyrie comp, but similar role to Kyrie in Cleveland next to LeBron. But I think New Orleans would have been a, would have been a great fit for him. 
Um, but trading down, I think, in the package they got was a total no-brainer. The other um, one that felt like a reach, I know Cody was a little higher on him than some people, was the Wizards going nine with Rui. A lot of the drafts had Dumboya going there uh, just for upside, really, since the Wizards are in such a terrible position right now. How'd you feel about Hachimura going number nine? Yeah, Rui wasn't a top 30 guy for me. Uh, So I think that just like on a pure prospect and where they were picked, um, look at this. I think that was worse than Cam Johnson. It was just not a surprise because I think we've always thought Rui's going to go in the lottery. I, I, the, the common destination was was 12, I think, to the Hornets. But yeah, I'm, I'm just not a believer in him having an NBA role that makes any sense. So like the way Rui succeeded in college, face up, score, shoot over the top, use his burst to get to the rim. Um would sort of get good post position and then just go up with it. I are you using him as a as a post up four in a starting lineup in the in the NBA? Is that how you're using your your new top ten pick? I just that seems really weird to me. And then the bigger concern is is his feel. So how is this a guy that you're giving the ball to when he just cannot make any passes ever? Uh, he's a total non passer. You know, some people have have conceived of him as a small ball five. Well, yeah, I mean, you switch more if you're if you're a small ball unit, but you still have help responsibilities, and Rui's totally clueless. So that was, I think, one of the worst picks of the draft, in my opinion. Uh, I get some of the appeal with Rui. He definitely has some, some go-to score upside, but I think it's much more with a bench unit, and taking that in the top 10 is, is kind of crazy. Yeah. You have any defense for your guy here, Cody? I just think I like Rui... I understand his concerns as a passer and defensively, but I just, like I saw with uh, Grant Williams, Carson Edwards, he's just a guy who gets it done. Is he better than Grant Williams? No, I don't think so. I, I kind of, I was a little skeptical of Grant Williams. I think most because I have a friend who's really good in Tennessee, and I was just busting his ball saying that Grant Williams wouldn't be anything. So maybe that's why I was as low as Grant Williams. No, I wouldn't say I was low on him, but I don't think I was as high as everyone else was. Um, just because of his height concerns and things like that. But at the end of the day, I think Ruiz is a guy who gets it done. I think uh, you saw a guy who had, like you said, like he got to the rim, he's more of a face-up guy. But I feel like the Washington Wizards showed their hand when they selected him, saying that they were going to go with a more experienced guy who could help them win quicker than a guy who would probably take two or three years to develop saying that they really wanted to go with this John Wall, Bradley Beal route, and they're going to sit, sit on that say, uh, ship until it sinks, even though it's probably already sunk. Yeah. I don't mind the pick at 11, uh, or 9, rather. I think he's just one of those guys where everyone loved Rui throughout the entire year. Jay Billis was raving about him the entire year, what he can do, and I feel like he's just a a guy you want around. And maybe with 9, it was a little bit of a reach, but... I think Cam Johnson at 11 was more of a reach than that. I do like the pick for Rui. I think he is a good basketball player. I feel like he does have things to learn, yes. But I feel like he's a smart kid. He's an intelligent kid. He's a coachable kid. Uh, Mark Few is a really good coach at Gonzaga. Um, and I feel like he's – I don't think he's going to be a star by any means, but I feel like he'd be a solid role player for years to come for that Washington team if things do work out with them. Yeah, the thing I just don't – understand what the role is for him like if, he, if he's not going to be sort of a, a, the focal point of a second unit what is the role that he's that he's playing in a starting unit because you know face up slash 
post up four who doesn't bring any defensive ability. It's just it's not like a thing that exists really anymore. Just, I mean, it's it's just not that valuable. Right, you know, I get you on that. I just feel like he's one of those. I think he's just going to figure it out. I feel like he will learn to become a better passer. I think passing is one of those things where you can become a better passer as years go by. Obviously, there are passing instincts that you're born with and that you you you're natural at, but you can become a decent passer by learning the game, by being around. Actually, John Wall was one of the better passers in the league. Uh, learning from him would be really nice for him. Uh, defensively, obviously, there are limitations physically. I feel like he, he has a Grant Williams build who is not as strong uh, and is a, a, little, a couple inches taller, I think. But I just feel like he's going to get it done. I feel like he has the ability, he has the shooting ability to come out to the three-point arc. I feel like, like you said with Grant Williams, you believe he is going to be that by some point in his career. I have the same uh, hope for Rui. I think he will develop a good shot uh, towards the... Uh, the three-point line, so that's where I think he can also help space the floor for John Wall and Bradley Beal um, and others like that. So I feel like his role is very ancient at this time, at this point of the NBA. But but I also do believe that uh, he he's going to figure it out and become a, a solid role player for them. Just be as a scorer and can hold his own on defense. He won't be atrocious on defense, as I think a lot of people think he will be. Yeah, I guess the, the core of the disagreement on Rui is probably uh, disagreement on how developable feel and intelligence are. Um, yep. I I just don't think that those are things that can really come around just because they require so many reps uh, over such a long amount of time. But yeah, I mean, if you if you think that you know you can start to develop recognition and that sort of thing, then then yeah, I mean, he he makes sense then. Yeah, I feel like, like you said, I think he's a smart kid, so I feel like that's something that he can get because of... Yeah, everyone raves about him as a person. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like he's willing to put the work in. Do I think that, you know, obviously, intelligence, I mean, I coach basketball in the winter, and I tell, you know, the kids I coach, you know, being the smartest basketball player is probably the most valuable thing you can have on the court. Being the smartest guy on the court. And, you know, learning those things. And there are instinctual things, you know, defensive rotations and shot blocking and effort. being in passing lanes. Effort. Those are all instinctual things that, yeah, some, for a lot of people, it can't be learned. But for some people, and I believe Ruby's one of them, you can learn those passing lanes. You can learn those rotations. You can learn to want more out of yourself to pick up decent defense. Is he going to be an elite defender? Most likely not. Is he going to be an elite offensive player? Most likely not, but I feel like he's going to be a very well-rounded guy offensively and defensively where the star potential isn't there, but he's going to be a solid rotational piece that they need to go along with Bradley Beal and John Wall. So that's what my thinking is. Am I going to be wrong? Most likely I'm wrong about a lot of things. Except for Rover Length, we're going to the Celtics, which I called two months ago. But Oh, that's just my feel for it. I like Rui. I'm pro- like I said, I'm probably higher on Rui than a lot of people are. I see a lot of draft people have him in their 30s, 40s. Um, what is he in my? I had him going 12 to Charlotte. I didn't see him going nine, but I feel like he's a good player and good enough to justify the pick. There. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't see it personally, but I think that's actually one of the better cases I've heard for Rui. I think if you're of that line of thinking, you can definitely justify him in the 20s. So I think nine, nine. A reach, nine, yeah, nine's a reach, but I mean, Cam Johnson's also pick eleven, and <laughs> yeah. Brandon Clark yeah. fell to twenty-one. So, what, yeah. what were we to say? That's true. 
Cody, I feel like all your prospects, when you're writing these guys out, it's either he gets it done or he doesn't get it done. <laughs> I mean, there's something... <laughs> you can you can nitpick every little thing. You can look at the jump shot. But at the end of the day, where they're, they're playing basketball. That's at the end of the day. And if you can get it done, you can get it done. I mean, I love intangibles and I love shooting as much as everybody else. But there are some players where... Does that justify them being a first-round pick or a top-five pick? No. But having a player that just does it, I feel like, is very undervalued. Everyone wants to put, you're going to be an all-star one day, so I'm going to pick you here. But if we, like the second-round picks and the late first-round picks, if you get a guy that just gets it done, <laughs> just gets it done. That's a good pick. Uh, I, I wrote it, and I think my, my Grant Williams blurb uh, on my board that right. the best indicator of being a good basketball player in the future is being a good basketball player in the past. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely a believer in, in just betting on guys who can play basketball. Yeah, I mean, that's at the end of the day. We're playing basketball. We're not running track. We're not, you know, doing track and field. Yeah, cool, you jump really high, which makes your ceiling higher. But if you can't play basketball, I mean, how many times has that happened? You know, Bismack Biombo. Yeah, I was I was surprised by the restraint that the NBA showed actually on those guys who have physical tools but aren't really very good, like Little and, and Dumbuya who were projected lottery picks who fell, and yeah, Casey Opala who went in the second and I think was widely expected to go in the first. And these guys who really aren't very good who have physical tools in the past, you know, these are um, prospects that the NBA has gravitated toward, and I think that they're showing real growth. You know, emphasizing these guys who are good and granted Clark fell to 21 which was insane because he's he's the epitome of physical tools and being good at basketball but uh on the whole yeah I was I was impressed by the league sort of eschewing those guys who just aren't very good yeah and one of those guys that gets it done we need to have a calendar for that by the way at this point um, that gets done not the most athletic in any way you said you're high on is Goga went to 18 mm-hmm. to the Pacers and I mean, you got this Sabonis Turner situation already going on. Are we seeing Goga at the three? What the hell is going on here? <laughs> My guess would be Sabonis isn't there long term. Yeah, that's a weird fit. But also at eighteen, just he was ninth on my board in my tier two. It just I think he was the best player available by such. Well, except for Clark, he was the best player available by. Oh, and Grant, <laughs> except for Clark and Grant, <laughs> he was the best player available by a wide margin. Uh, yeah, he's. I think he's probably underrated athletically in that he's he's pretty mobile. He's not a switch defender, but he can definitely he'll be a very good drop pick and roll defender. Uh, and he's not a good vertical leaper, but he is a quick vertical leaper and is a quick second jump. So I think that he gets the most out of his athleticism. So I'm I'm a big fan. It's a really weird spot for him, but I'm just not gonna knock getting that talent at 18. I think that that's all that I got for you, Max. Is there anything else that you feel like you want to touch on or Cody that you want to get into? No, I I think I'm good. We went over a lot. Yeah, we did pretty good. I mean, I do have to say my heroin addiction is put on hold for right now because we did get (laughs) Romeo Langford, which I know the entire (laughs) Celtic Center community was worried about me, uh, you know, turning over this new leaf of mine. But, you know, not... There's enough ice cream to go around to cure my owl sadness, so I don't think we need to go heroin yet. <laughs> you know, Cody, you were talking about him so much that I didn't even care about how Romeo Langford is as a basketball player. I just didn't want him to go to Boston just to see you freak out. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so you wanted my heroin addiction to start. See, this is the friend type of friend Brandon Nunes is. He exactly. wants you to do heroin. That's hey. what it is. You know, honestly, <laughs> if you came on the podcast all tripping out, it would make for a very entertaining episode. Yeah, I'd listen to that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like to think I'm entertaining as it is, but if that's the way, I, I know people. I can get heroin. You know, I mean, you get it done, Cody. You get I'll it done. get it done. I'll <laughs> get it done. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of the Celtic Center. Be sure to follow. It is at Max uh, A. Carlin, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Be sure to follow him on Twitter. There's a lot of good Celtic stuff going on. I think you're starting a Celtics film breakdown, right? Oh no that that channel is just that was a a bit that or that account was a bit and I've kept it around as a burner for when my DMs break because <laughs> they've been breaking a lot recently and so so I, yeah I just just use that for for DMs when my my main account's DMs are broken. Okay. Yeah, well, be sure to follow Max on Twitter. Read his articles on CelticsBlog.com as well, and congratulate Cody on getting out of this issue and finally landing his guy. Thank you to everybody for listening to this episode. You will hear from us again in a couple days.